he was credited, obviously, not only with saving people's lives. Bill Stafford says he wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for Michael. And we called it No Greater Love based on the Bible verse. Um, no greater love hath anyone than to lay down their life for their friends. And here was someone who was willing to do that. An excerpt from today's guest who explores the life and combat actions of Philadelphia's only Medal of Honor recipient of the Vietnam War, Michael Crescens. Journalist and co-author Kevin Ferris is here, and I'll speak with him right after this break. I'm Robert Child, and this is Point of the Spear. Welcome back. And before we get into the show, remember to click that follow button on the podcast to be notified of our future fantastic guests like the author we're speaking with today. And thank you. Today's guest spent more than 30 years at the Philadelphia Inquirer, the last 10 as a columnist. His freelance work has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, The Hill, The Weekly Standard, and The Christian Science Monitor. His book with co-author John Siegfried is called No Greater Love, the story of Michael Crescens, Philadelphia's only Medal of Honor recipient of the Vietnam War. And co-author Kevin Ferris joins us now. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thanks for having me. It's a real honor. This looks like a great book. And as I mentioned offline, I, I used to live in the Philadelphia area, and uh, I have great interest in this story. But before we get into Michael's actions, set up the battle for us. And what was the objective of storming this fortress in the clouds? And why was there such a, in my view, uh, an intelligence failure to determine the entrenchments that the NBA had on that mountain? Well, I, I think um, as part of just their routine uh, mission in that part of, in the northwest part of South Vietnam, um, you know, they're always probing, seeing where the enemy was, things like that. And three or four days before the action that Michael took, um, some of, of some of the units had started on that mountain and stumbled upon some pretty sizable base camps. So they knew they had something and there were some actions there that um, some pretty fierce firefights in the, those opening days of what turned out to be a seven day battle. And so the um, battalion commander, Sam Wetzel, um, poured some heavy, pretty heavy artillery, air power, and even um, uh, naval power from the USS New Jersey, about 35 miles off the coast, um, onto the mountain in preparation for sending his troops up there. And his plan was to go up in three different directions, a left flank, right flank, and up the center. And um, so, so they knew they were going to be facing some pretty sizable North Vietnamese elements. But I think the surprise, and I, I mean, I don't know if it was an intelligence failure. I don't, I'm not sure how they would have known um, after the pounding that the, the enemy had taken with the artillery, et cetera, um, was the bunkers. Mm -hmm. What they didn't expect that there were 250 bunkers all over that mountain. And that, that was a huge surprise. And part of the reason for them being there, which they didn't find out until they, the battle was over seven days later and they took the mountain, there was a pretty sizable um, uh, enemy headquarters there, as well as a hospital. So that mm -hmm. was the reason, I think, for why it was so heavily fortified and, and well guarded. So they weren't completely surprised that the enemy was there. It was, um, I think it was the bunkers that, um, was was the big surprise and 
and it, I, I can, you know, and then, and then on November 20th, when Michael's unit came under fire early that morning, um, that's what it was from. They were ambushed. They'd walk right into um, uh, a, a grouping of these bunkers and were ambushed. Well, introduce us to Michael and his upbringing in Philadelphia. I know it comes from a large family of uh, six brothers. Michael, yeah, he was the second of six, um, big Irish-Italian Catholic family. Grew up in um, a, a parish neighborhood that everybody went to St. Athanasius Elementary School. A um, lot of sports they, you know, they were out of, out of the house all day long in the, the local schoolyard or the, the, the city rec center playing sports from dawn till dusk. Had a great group of friends. He was always the tall one, always the strongest one. Um, very, very athletic. Everybody remembers his huge smile. Um, they particularly remember he was always a leader. He was, um, but never somebody who bullied or took advantage of people. Mm -hmm. He just had a very, um, he was just a strong guy who often defended his brothers and his friends from bullies. And uh, he just didn't tolerate things like that. Um, and he, he uh, much loved guy. It, it, we have several people who, who he grew up with, who he knew from first grade, um, talking about their friendship and, you know, went to the prom together and things like that so he's still very much missed and you know several of them will mention in the book you know their their firstborn son was named michael mm. um his honor so he you know and it, they there's big big family his both his mom and dad came from big families and a lot of cousins and all the cousins they just remembered him as the um the the one with the, the guy with the big smile who made everybody feel great mm. and um and, but, you know, in this community, you learned that, you know, family was important, community was important, and service to that community was important. So when um, his turn came, that when their turn came, his older brother joined the Marines first and did a tour, 13-month tour of duty in Vietnam. And he was um, still over there when Michael joined the Army, um, not long after graduating from high school. And then by the time his older brother Charlie came home, Michael was ready to go over there. Let's see. What year was that that he went over there? 68. 68. Oh, same year. He joined, he joined in early 68, um, did all his training, wound up in Vietnam in September um, of 68, and was only there two months you know, before the, the battle. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Next week, we'll have two Christmas week programs. First, we'll speak with John Koopman III, an author and living historian who has portrayed General George Washington in major theatrical films. Then, on Christmas Eve, we'll recreate Christmas 1942 with excerpts from news reports and popular music of the time. I'll also interview Peter Harmson about his book, Darkest Christmas, December 1942, and A World at War. One of the uh, interesting things about war is that it gives us a much deeper knowledge about what it really means to be human, like brings both the proverbially best and the worst in, in, in people. This is uh, even more the case when we are talking about Christmas in wartime. This is one Christmas special you won't want to miss. And before we return to the conversation, if you're enjoying the story of the Vietnam War, check out our earlier program, Just Another Day in Vietnam, with special operations legend Colonel Keith Nightingale. It was just morning and you, you could see it. He was probably less than 200 feet above me. And it, he had just triggered uh, a pair of 500 pound bombs. Mm -hmm. And I looked up at that instant 
and saw the air brakes from the bombs right on top of me, and I'm saying, holy <laughs> you know, I, I'm about to die here. It's show 117 from season one, and you'll easily find it in our past episodes. Gift-giving season is here, and for the military history lover on your list, check out my book about the Black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II. Immortal Valor chronicles these timeless heroes' life journeys through all the pain and struggle until their ultimate triumphs. I hope you purchase the book or audiobook, which is available now in stores and online. Now back to the conversation. How did you come across this story and go about researching it? I first heard about it. I was a columnist um, and editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer for a number of years. And I had heard about this family that was getting a move, getting ready to move their um, uh, Vietnam War hero brother, Michael, um, from the local cemetery to Arlington National Cemetery. Hmm. Uh, all, all of the brothers were you know, no longer in Philadelphia. The parents were gone. And um, there was a kind of a consensus among the brothers that he should be somewhere w with his fellow heroes. Um, so they they organized this effort. It took him a couple of years to get things together. Um, and then they were getting ready to move him. And I went out and covered. They had a ceremony in the original cemetery, kind of a disinterment ceremony. And I went out and covered that and first met the brothers and um, and then covered the another part of the ceremony they moved him from the cemetery to a local funeral home for a few days till the um the scheduled burial burial at arlington and then motorcaded down um from there huge huge motorcade of you know dozens and dozens of vehicles and motorcycles and veterans and state police to take him from pennsylvania down to arlington that's great so that that was my initial um finding of the story that was in 08 and then stayed in touch with the brother over the years who was working um, to get a book published and then approached me a couple of years ago and asked if I would help out with that. Well, that's great. So it came from the family, essentially. The, yes. And the family, I mean, the, be, between the family and local Vietnam veterans, they've done so much to uh, make sure Michael's story has gotten out there and that, you know, his sacrifice and what his whole generation of veterans did is you know never forgotten and it's honored when you know where it wasn't really in their day take us back to that day in november 1968 on uh, neutron mountain where michael stepped forward i, I think it was early early morning-ish they were making their way up the mountain um this is kind of the monsoon season so it was a very steep mountain it was muddy it was rainy it was wet and they were kind of going up in some places, you know, on their hands and knees, crawling. S not far into that day, their unit was ambushed. They'd walk right into the middle of several Viet North Vietnamese bunkers and were ambushed. Um, several guys went down right away. Everybody hit the dirt. Um, one of the medics, um, Bill Stafford, was called forward, and he went forward to take care of the wounded as best he could and wound up getting trapped up there with one of them, one of the wounded guys. And um, the the big mystery, I mean, Michael's battalion commander says it and the guys around him say it, they don't know why or what possessed Michael to do it, but he was, he was, he was a regular rifleman, he wasn't a machine gunner, but he wound up picking up an M60 machine gun and charging the first bunker, which was about a hundred meters away, um, managed to take out the bunker, kill the two soldiers in it, 
turned to a second bunker, took out that bunker, turned to a third bunker, took out that bunker. And around that time, he was up where Doc Stafford was with the wounded guy. And, you know, they had their heads buried down as deep as they could, trying to stay safe from the enemy fire. And there's Michael looming over them. And he just kind of turns to him and says, oh, it's okay, Doc, I got this. And right around that, a fourth bunker um, opened fire on them. So Michael turned to that bunker, charged it, and it was in the course of charging that bunker that he was fatally wounded. That's an amazing, amazing heroic story. Kind of disrupted what the, you know, the enemy was doing, gave his guys a chance to regroup and get, get it together. And then so they were, he was credited, obviously, not only with saving people's lives. Um, Bill Stafford says he wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for Michael. Um, but, you know, in the course of regrouping, then they were able to move forward and complete the mission. What is it you want readers to, uh, if you could distill it down, to take away from this book and this story? Well, there's, there's a, I guess the, the big thing, you know, learning, read, learning and reading about Medal of Honor recipients is always um, how very seemingly ordinary people are capable of extraordinary things. And in, in this, they're so, and it's so often they're acting, you know, Medal of Honors are given because people are willing to sacrifice their lives for others. Um, I think most have been awarded posthumously since World War II, the majority. Um, so people are willing to sacrifice themselves to save the people around them. And it's just an important thing to remember that pe that's what um, service people are often called to do. And we called it no greater love based on the Bible verse. Um, no greater love hath anyone than to lay down their life for their friends. And here was someone who was willing to do that. Um, and, you know, and it's, you talk to some of the veterans now and it's, um, and, and I, I think if you talk to Medal of Honor recipients too, they'll often say that um, they just happen to be recognized for their action, but they saw actions like this all the time. So they really hold their medal in trust for other people. So it's it's kind of a a reminder that of what people do for others, if in and in this case in the service of their country. The book is called No Greater Love: The Story of Michael Crescens, Philadelphia's only Medal of Honor recipient of the Vietnam War. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having us and for um, for honoring Michael. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for joining me. Next week, we'll have two Christmas week programs. First, we'll speak with John Koopman III, an author and living historian who has portrayed General George Washington in major theatrical films. Then, on Christmas Eve, we'll recreate Christmas 1942 with excerpts from news reports and popular music of the time. I'll also interview Peter Harmson about his book, Darkest Christmas, December 1942, and A World at War. One of the uh, interesting things about war is that it gives us a much deeper knowledge about what it really means to be human, like brings both the proverbially best and the worst in, in, in people. This is uh, even more the case when we are talking about Christmas in wartime. This is one Christmas special you won't want to miss. And if you like what you hear, leave a review or a rating or click the follow button. And be sure to check out our Point of the Spear YouTube channel with bonus video material plus full military history documentaries. There's tons to explore, and I hope you check it out. I'm Robert Child, and this has been Point of the Spear. Music licensed from audioblocks.com. 
Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.